0: Welcome to the Carbon mini-series within the Exploring Opportunities podcast brought to you as part of the Future Farm Resilience support delivered by NIAB, AKC and Savills, working in partnership. My name Elizabeth Stockdale, Head of the Farming Systems team in NIAB. Today we're going to explore the science behind ruminant methane emissions with Professor Liam Sinclair from Harper Adams University. Hello,
1: Liam. Good morning, how are you?
0: I'm good, thank you. My background as a soil scientist and farming systems researcher, I've usually worked in arable systems. So when I think of mixed systems and work with mixed systems, I tend to think about those livestock perhaps in the same way as you would do as soil, where you put something in the front and get something different out of the back. But before we get into the, the complexity of that and you you get me clear on, on how this works, can you just give us a brief introduction to your background and what you brought you into the study of livestock?
1: Yeah, sure. I was uh, born and brought up on a family farm in uh, the north of Scotland, so mixed farm, cattle, sheep uh, and cereals, and so I had an interest from very early on in terms of uh, ruminant animals. I was then fortunate enough to do well at school, so I could go to university, and I did uh, agriculture with animal science, which uh, sort of grew my interest in in cattle and sheep and how they can uh, digest feed, how they can use feeds that we as, as humans cannot use, so byproduct feeds and forages, and how to uh, do that more efficiently. So then I went and did a PhD in Rubin Biochemistry at Nottingham University, uh, because I still didn't understand uh, everything that was going on. So I did my PhD and um, that uh, made me even more curious to find out mm-hmm. other things uh, that um, you know, were important in terms of ruminant production, ruminant nutrition, forage use, uh, quality of milk, those, those kind of things. So it's been a kind of family thing. It's something that, that's kind of um, you know, grown through and, and uh, just an interest I have in, in cattle and sheep.
0: So over the past few years, ruminant animals have come into the focus particularly around methane and methane emissions. Why this focus on methane and, and why have we suddenly become interested in it?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's, a, it's perhaps a rather complicated story as to why the focus has has come on to methane and, and ruminants, because we've had ruminants really since when we uh, started domesticated agriculture about 10,000 years ago, and, and they've been with us for a number of reasons. First of all, they're able to use uh, feeds uh, that we can't use, so fibrous feeds, forages and convert that into high quality um, protein and, and energy, milk and uh, and meat. And they're able to upgrade low quality proteins into high quality proteins as well. So they've been with us, cattle and sheep have been with us for a long time and they've been a very important part of uh, of human development. In that process of digesting fibre they also produce uh, this compound called uh, called methane and that's where the focus has come in recently in terms of global warming because Mm -hmm. methane has got quite a high uh, global warming uh, potential depends on how you calculate it which we might discuss a little bit later Mm -hmm. so the focus has been on the production of of methane and i think it's perhaps been rather unfairly so Uh, i mean if we look at the uk dairy industry in the 1980s, we had about 3.4 million dairy cows producing about 15 billion litres of milk. Mm-hmm. Now we've got 1.9 million dairy cows producing 15 billion litres of milk. So even without going into any of the science or calculations on, on terms of methane, I think anybody can see quite clearly that there's been a reduction in the amount of methane that's, that's being produced because we've got nearly mm-hmm. half the number of cows. Mm-hmm. And over that period of time, there's been a large uh, increase in uh, air transport and people going on holidays and cars, people having more cars, etc. So in many ways, I feel it's, it's been unfair that the ruminants have been have been focused on. Because um, certainly in the UK, their net contribution has been you know, to, to reduce the amount of methane uh, that, that's being produced. But the focus uh, for many legislators has been on this this high global, what we call global warming potential, which for methane is about 25 times more than carbon dioxide. But as okay, so, I said, yeah. So if
0: we go, if we just do that and global warming potential, then that's us expressing the impact of any other gas in the atmosphere in relation to carbon dioxide, isn't it?
1: That's right it's 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 a way of taking other gases so agriculture produces other gases such as nitrous oxide and methane and it's it's a way of converting them into common currency if if you like mm-hmm. uh, and that is to to base it on the the effect that if it was just carbon dioxide, how much carbon dioxide would would that be That's what we call um the global warming potential or or GWp in terms of the official way of calculating it. Mm -hmm. And that gives methane about 25 times the impact.
0: So I think that that relates to how long that effect lasts in the atmosphere, doesn't it? And whether whether the standard way of calculating it is really being fair on, on how methane works.
1: Yeah, I think particularly methane from uh, from ruminants. There's, there's what's called GWP-STAR, which has been um, proposed by researchers, Miles Allen, the most prominent at Oxford University, that says, well, well hold on a minute, the, the methane might have a high global warming potential, but it, it's actually got a very short, what we call half-life. So if you have a cow now and she's Putting out methane, it does have a high global warming effect in terms of of heating the the environment, but after about ten years or so, that methane has degraded and it's it it's gone. So you're not actually contributing so that cow after 10 years <clears throat> has no net contribution mm-hmm. so if you have a stable uk dairy population or a sheep population or or beef cattle population then you're not actually contributing to increased amounts of of methane and as i mentioned previously with the uk dairy industry if it's decreasing you're you're actually contributing towards uh, global pooling, which may seem a rather bizarre thing uh, to say, because everybody thinks thinks the opposite. So it depends on how you calculate it, and I, and I know that there's a lot of farmers get quite annoyed that. Um, that we don't use GWP star, but that's really to do with uh, with legislators and and a sort of common currency across uh, across the globe. So it makes it a little bit more complicated to say what what the net effect is from from agriculture compared with burning fossil fuels, for example, where you are you're releasing carbon that's been stored for a long period of time, and you're releasing that into the atmosphere in, in the form of carbon dioxide, which is building up over uh, over time.
0: And and we've had a the different podcast talking about N2O emissions, which absolutely don't really break down they, they break down incredibly slowly in the stratosphere there are no consuming processes at all so that one has a very high GWP and I think also has that long duration which is very different to methane but as you say it's about bringing these gases together so we can start to talk whether it's useful or not about things like carbon footprints and have a look across a whole farm system at how the different sorts of emissions might fit together do you have a sense and there is no reason you, you should have but do you have a sense of how important if we look at a, a livestock farm How important methane is as a proportion of the different kinds of greenhouse gases coming from a farm?
1: Yeah, I mean, if if I use the example of a dairy cow, then um, a litre of milk uh, produces somewhere in the region of 1200 grams of carbon dioxide equivalent. So it's this Mm -hmm. equivalent value. So uh, 1200 grams uh, would be a standard cow. And of that, about 40% or so uh, would be coming from methane produced by the cows. And the rest of it's coming from uh, feed use, a little bit from nitrous oxide in terms of, you've got electricity and other forms. So about 40% or so. So it's, it's a big component within ruminants. And that's <laughs> that's what, why people focus on it, is to say, well, you've got this this large amount of methane.
0: Yeah, so that's really useful. So if we if we go back to the, the science, why do rumen animals produce methane and not the rest of us? What's actually going on, the processes in the rumen that lead to these emissions?
1: The the, the really fascinating thing about cattle and sheep is the, the ability to break down this fibre and use feeds that we can't use. But in reality, cattle and sheep don't contain enzymes to do that. They're not able to break it down any more than what you or I or your dog or cat. They're not able to break it down either, which seems a little bit bizarre that cattle and sheep cannot digest grass, but they don't. What they've done is that they've evolved uh, this relationship uh, with uh, microorganisms within the rumen. And within a sheep, it's somewhere about 10 to 15 litres worth of rumen uh, material in a dairy cow. It's about 150 litres. So they've got these big fermentation vats that that the cow or the sheep puts a lot of effort into carrying around and and maintaining. And the benefit is that uh, within this this rumen, you've got a large amount of uh, microorganisms such as bacteria, fungi and protozoa. So there are more bacteria in one milliliter of rumen fluid, for example, than the number of people in the world. So if you multiply that up to say, well, there's 150 litres in a cow, you can see that there's a vast uh, number in there. And what these microorganisms do is that they do contain the enzymes to break down um, fibre within the rumen. So feed comes into the rumen, they're able to break that down. And it's what we call an anaerobic environment. It means that that there's no oxygen. So they they ferment it within the Mm rumen. And some farmers may have um, anaerobic digestion plants. And and it's not too dissimilar from a mobile anaerobic digestion plant. And they break it down. They gain energy from the fibre that we can't do and then some of that energy is available for the cow or or the sheep then to use which they use to make meat and milk and then the the bugs themselves they get washed out of the rumen as feeds coming in uh, in the mouth and they get washed out of this first stomach Uh, And the cow's got four stomachs, the the rumen being the largest, but uh, it gets washed out. And then those rumen microbes are digested in themselves. So the animal gets the protein from these microbes because they're packed full of protein, 50, 60 percent protein. So they're at their high protein source. So the wonderful thing is that these bugs make the ruminants able to use feeds that we can't use. They're able to upgrade low quality protein feeds. The downside is in the process of doing that, they produce this gas called methane. And, as I said, they they always have produced methane. This hasn't just happened in the last twenty or thirty years it's It's been with us when bison uh, grazing the, the the plains of north america and and elk and others, they all produce uh, produce methane. And that methane is is necessary to be produced for the fermentation to occur within the rumen the The actual problem in in the rumen isn't really methane. the, the actual problem is is another gas called hydrogen. um the The rumen needs to get rid of hydrogen. So there's a special group of bacteria that we call Archaea, and they're able to take the hydrogen and convert it into methane. So they they get rid of the the hydrogen by by doing that. So really, in terms of of what we're trying to do to reduce methane, it's often about using some other source to uh, to use the hydrogen in there. So this methane is something that that the farmer doesn't really want to be produced because uh, it's about eight percent or so of the feed that you give um, an animal is lost as methane. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit like a farmer, you know, giving their their, their animals uh, feed, and then taking eight percent of it and throwing it away, and that's how much energy is lost. So farmers don't want. To lose that, that energy they wanted to be converted into live weight gain uh, if it's sheep or, or cattle or, or milk production mm-hmm. rather than it to be lost and that that was the focus about 40, 50 years ago when people started looking at reducing methane then. And there were products such as Menensin, which some of the older farmers uh, might be familiar with in terms of, of Remensin and, and, and other products in there. And they, they were introduced really to to as growth promoters and to promote milk production. And the way that they did it was to reduce methane. And then that methane energy was was used in terms of growth and um and production. We don't use uh those in uh in the u k now but they are used widely throughout the rest of the world as a means of uh, a growth promoter and it does it by reducing methane if we can reduce the amount of methane that's that's produced then we will have more efficient animals and they'll, they'll produce more so everything in terms of reducing methane is something that a farmer would want to do anyway and we can explore some ways of how they do mm-hmm. that um, as we uh, as we talk through so it's not something that farmers want but it is a natural product that's been there for millions of uh, of years and and the upside is that ruminants can use products that we can't use that might be byproduct from the human feed industry, such as uh, sugar beet pulp or distiller's grains from bioethanol, or it may be grazing pastures where we can grow combinable crops on uh, as well. So it's a balance between between those two.
0: So well, I think you, you're hinting that manipulating perhaps the quality or different things we might put in feeds can have a big impact. But before we go there, are there any differences between the species of ruminant animals Breeds within a species, or even between individual animals, in in how this methane emissions work. Do we know anything about that variation?
1: Yeah, uh, there is a, a difference between between sheep and cattle. They they roughly respond the same, but not always. So sometimes you'll find uh, one feed additive might work better in sheep than in a, in another than cattle in terms of reducing methane production. We know that there's a big variation in in the genetics between animals. So you can have two beef animals growing at the uh, at the same rate, one kilogram per day and eating the same amount, but one could be producing twenty percent more methane than than another one. And there's a lot of interest in terms of selecting animals to produce uh, less methane naturally mm. as well. So we know that there's that genetic variation there, and there's the opportunity to uh, select animals to, to to be more efficient. but there are other ways of improving efficiency as well as, as so I, genetic. So selection. I guess,
0: That genetic selection is going to feed through breeding programmes and it's not something farmers themselves will be doing because they won't be making those measurements to know the differences between animals. Though they may be picking differences that are a result of methane in different performance in terms of live weight gain, if that makes sense. Because uh, perhaps an animal that's producing less methane is also able to use feed a little bit better and, and hence growing faster. But that's likely to feed through, I guess, just in our... Purchases of livestock going forward in in breeding material that comes forward onto farms and, and selection that way.
1: Yeah, it, it, it is. I mean, we are involved with a large project uh, coordinated by SRUC where It is specifically to evaluate the genetic variation in sheep and sheep breeds on methane production. Mm -hmm. AHDB also has an index in there that you can breed for animals that have got a lower methane production. And genomics and genomic selection and identifying key genes are are things that that will become more prominent as we move forward. And farmers will really only see that in terms of when they're they're buying replacement stock, in terms of bills and particularly um, semen and they'll be able to increasingly select animals that have a lower methane production or genetically have a lower methane production. But there are other factors rather than just um, specifically selecting for methane. For example, things that increase uh, longevity, et cetera, contribute towards reducing methane production as well. So farmers won't see it. The, The difficulty, and often I find when I discuss it with farmers, the frustration is that everybody speaks about methane, they're being criticized for methane, but it's difficult measure if not impossible to measure on on commercial farms Mm -hmm. to know if they are producing high levels or lower levels and there are calculators to calculate what your carbon footprint is but they're based on sort of standard equations rather than what an individual farmer is doing So it's always difficult in those situations to either reward or penalise for methane production if you can't measure how much has actually been produced. You're just predicting how much has been produced. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that can be a little bit frustrating for for farmers as well. So they may select animals that have got a predicted of a lower methane production, but measuring whether that's the case on on their farm is more difficult to do.
0: Okay, so we sort of touched on feed and then drop back and then so we'll go back in and say okay so is it about then for a farmer selecting the balance of feeds or about feed additives or both
1: well, I would, in terms of reducing methane, I'd put them into two categories. You've, you've got nutrition and then you've got kind of management aspects that, that can contribute mm-hmm. towards it. If we take nutrition, then there are um, aspects that farmers can do that will contribute towards lower methane production. And those things are sort sort of higher quality forages. Uh, The more fibre you have in the diet, the lower the quality of the forage, then the more methane is produced. The higher the quality of the forage, then the less the methane. And also a higher quality forage results in a higher growth rate or a higher milk production. So it has a double effect. Not only do you get less methane produced with a higher quality forage, but you get a greater live weight gain or a greater milk production. So when you express the production of methane or carbon dioxide equivalents per kilogram of live weight gain or per kilogram of milk yield, then you have this double effect. You've got less with a higher quality forage and you've got more product coming out. So it it actually reduces the impact or the footprint per kilogram of product uh, by a greater extent. So improving forage quality uh, is one way of doing that. Grass is quite good. Not only is grass lower in fibre, but it also contains what we call polyunsaturated fatty acids in there. And polyunsaturated fatty acids, when they get into the rumen, they can absorb hydrogen and that can reduce the hydrogen available for methane production. And they can also be a little bit selective in terms of what bacteria are present in there as well. So grazing high quality grass is uh, is good as well. And we've done studies where we've allowed cows to graze even for just a few hours a day. And we've seen a reduction in methane production of about 10 to 14 percent from doing that. Other things, starchier feeds tend to reduce methane. Uh, That's because of the fermentation that's going on within uh, within the rumen, and it's less in fibre as well. So feeding higher levels of concentrates uh, tends to reduce methane. But there's a bit of a caveat on there. So a dairy farmer going from, say, three kilograms per day to four kilograms per day probably won't see much effect. Uh, you have to feed quite high levels before you see an effect. And then you have a risk of negative effects, such as subacute rumen acidosis, too low rumen pH mm-hmm. um, if, you, if you overfeed concentrates. But starchier feeds in there uh, tend to reduce methane. So feeding maize silage, for example, um, has a benefit over grass silage because it's got a higher starch content, and because cows uh, tend to produce more milk, as well as as um, yeah, the, the direct effects on on methane production. So there's there's a variety of different uh, things in terms of uh, the, the the control in relation to what's currently being fed, mm-hmm. but there's there's also a lot of interest now in specific products that will reduce methane production Defra are a little bit concerned that it's it's a bit of a um, you know, sort of wild West out there to a certain extent in terms of products available mm-hmm. and it's making sure that there's good sound evidence for whatever's being used actually has uh, an effect so there's a variety of products that are either on the market or coming on the market so things such as essential oils uh, have been shown to reduce methane production by several percent. There's a product that's likely to be coming onto the market called 3-nitro-oxypropanol, and that reduces methane production by up to about 30% or so. Nitrates, uh, which is not something we would normally want to feed ruminants because um, they can have negative effects um, as well, but in uh, controlled conditions and fed appropriately, they can reduce methane as well. A lot of plant-based compounds in there that people have been looking at: tannins, saponins, other you know, uh, individual compounds. You've then got um, sort of seaweed products in there, bromo products in in there as well as um, as means of reducing methane. So there's a lot of potential out there, and I'm just a little bit concerned that farmers aren't sold products without having good, strong evidence that they work because some of them are more effective than than others. Um, and there are things such as adaptation in, in the rumen to a certain extent the rumen is quite good at, at adapting to, to some of these these products as well. So, so so what
0: sort of question should a farmer ask when a feed salesman says you really need to buy this thing to, to make a difference What what's the what's the good question that a farmer could ask to challenge the, the evidence?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, how's there been independent evidence done, uh, particularly if it's been published in what we call peer-reviewed articles, because that tends to be a better way, it's not a fail-safe way, but it tends to be a better way of ensuring that the work's been done properly, rather than, uh, it's easy to do, say, an on-farm study and have one group of animals um, in one building, one group in another building, but that isn't really very good science uh, so it's having good solid science not just from one piece of work but a number of different pieces of work that all you know indicate towards it having an effect and there are some products out there that you know that has been a lot of work on and there's good evidence for but there's others out there that's perhaps uh, not as clear in terms of what effect they have and simply being marketed to have an effect and in theory whether they should have an effect and in practice uh, that may not be the case so for example some companies may may do studies um, in what we call in vitro or in test tubes, effectively, and and show an effect on methane. Uh, But that doesn't always translate to what may happen in a sheep. And they may do it in a sheep, but that may not translate to what happens in, in a cow. So if you're buying a product and there's no evidence to be really concerned, if it's just oratory measurements in vitro, then that may not translate through. And it, it comes back to this, this aspect of if you're not measuring it on the farm, you don't actually know whether what you've bought is having a benefit or not because you're not able to measure the methane production. You're just basing it on, on the evidence there. And and, uh, and governments, not just the UK, but throughout the world, want that evidence. So if they do include that within carbon footprint calculators that there is sound evidence to say, Suggest what, what that effect might might be.
0: Excellent now we could go on talking for ages but we kind of need to pull things to an end we, we may come back at some point in the future to say we need to know more Liam but if you had to give one message to farmers with ruminant livestock sheep cattle both beef and dairy but that you're going to give them each a different message what what would that sort of general, what should they be focused on at this point? What, what what would you want them to take out of this, all this conversation about methane and managing methane on farm?
1: Well, firstly, I, I wouldn't, uh, I would put over the point that reducing methane is, is something that farmers would want to do anyway, because it will improve your, your performance. Nutrition is one area that, that we've touched on. Uh, the other area is sort of general management. So, uh, having, uh, for example, heifers calving at 23, 24 months rather than 27, 28 months. Because when an animal's not producing anything, it's still belching out methane. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as it's belching out methane, then that's contributing towards the overall effect. So, for example, I said about 20, 25% of the carbon cost of uh, a litre of milk actually comes from rearing the animal before it calves for the first time. So that's kind of a dead time, really, in terms of methane production. So you want that animal calving uh, and at 23, 24 months, not hanging around. And the same goes for beef and for sheep as well. Finishing at at, at a younger age, uh, meeting these sort of market targets is important. Other areas uh, include you know improving fertility, so making sure that uh, cows are getting in in calf that you 've got a high conception rate high a heat detection rate, the same with sheep as well and suckler cows you 've got ninety to ninety five percent in the calf rate. And health uh, is another area. So reducing, you know, lameness in sheep, reducing mastitis, any reasons to, to cull animals is also um, going to improve that. Because the longer, longer living, healthier, more productive animals are the ones that produce less methane. So those are all things that farmers would want to do anyway.
0: So old fashioned good animal husbandry then is key to this.
1: Yes, absolutely. And and, and that will feed through in terms of profitability as well as reducing methane production. And then you can overlay that in terms of additives in there, including oils, including uh, specific products in there to reduce methane if there's evidence um, and there's sound evidence that that's the effect. So that's kind of on top of that. So uh, my comments would be get, get the basics right first in terms of management, in terms of forage management and balanced diet that's done correctly. So, you you know, you're not overfeeding nutrients uh, that you're meeting the the targets in terms of live weight gain or or milk production. And then, you know, you've got your additives on top of that to uh, to reduce methane further. But if you're not getting those other basics right, then you're going to be paying for products. and You could have had as much an effect in in doing doing something else as well.
0: Thank you. And it's been really interesting. Um, I certainly understand a bit more about that thing that I call a black box, that feels to me a lot like my understanding as well of those complicated biological interactions in the soil and the rumen. So perhaps actually in the future, we need to to think more about how those two things might work most effectively together. And I know there are conversations about what we call the phytobiome, aren't there? That understanding those complicated interactions between animals, plants, soil, and our whole human health, too. But that's for another day. Thank you very much for your time today um, and uh, see you soon.
1: Okay, thank you very much.